Let me open today's sermon by uh, reading to you a few reports here. The headline reads, Evangelist Attacked by Armed Gunmen. This is from the publication uh, Voice of the Martyrs, by the way, which reports, um, in this case, it lets us know how Christians around the world can be praying for their brothers and sisters around the world as they face persecution. This one, Evangelist Attacked by Gunmen. And it reads, two armed men forced an evangelist in northern Burkina Faso, this is in Africa, out of his house one night recently. When they led Yaya, this person's name, outside, he managed to escape into the darkness as the men shot at him several times. His wife and children are staying with relatives while Yaya has fled to a different town. They say that the persecutors have attacked Churches killing even several pastors recently. Let me read you another one. This headline says, Widow refuses to worship a snake god. This is what it says. Uh, Tavisa, a widow who lives with her son, became a Christian three years ago. Her son told her repeatedly, though, to stop following Jesus. And when she refused, he kicked her out of his house. Tavisa now lives in an old house with a leaking roof and no running water. Her son, who worships a snake god, recently put a poster of the snake god on her front door and warned her not to remove it. Tavisa has remained faithful to Christ even though she struggles financially and sometimes can't afford the bus fare required to get to church. Let's us know how to pray for her. Pray that her children and their spouses will come to faith in Christ. Pray that Tavisa would grow spiritually. You can just scroll through any number of these reports on how people around the world right now are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And this publication calls us to be praying for them to stand fast. You know, when it comes to a model of what it looks like to stand fast, I I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul. Of course, there's Jesus, but outside of Christ... The God-man, I think of Paul. He's an excellent model of what it looks like to stand fast. In our passage today, found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, Paul, who is standing fast in the face of persecution, he calls his son in the faith to do the same, to indeed stand fast for Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, if you look there, the passage was supposed to be going all the way to verse 7, but I actually am going to only focus on the first two verses, and I'll, uh, I'll focus uh, on 3 to 7 the next time uh, we are in 2 Timothy. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul sometime in the year or the years that, lead, that led up to his execution by Nero, the emperor of Rome. Church history says that this happened around 68 A.D., that is the last year of Nero's rule. And he writes as this aging father, the aging mentor to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was one that he had charged to lead, to take up the helm there of of the church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, coastal city of Turkey. And this letter is just filled with such personal encouragement and in a unique way that his other letters aren't so much. The reason why is because Paul knows that he's basically on his last leg. He knows and he says, quote, I have finished the race. Past tense, it's done. He's in jail. He's, he's chained as a criminal. And here he's passing on his last will and testament to this son in the faith, Timothy, encouraging him to stand fast in the gospel. And that's, what, that's what he writes. That's what he encourages. Stand fast. Let's go ahead and read there. Uh, look at uh, verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll start there, and I'll read 115 all the way to 2.7. He says there, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he also, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. 
May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Three ways, three ways Paul calls Timothy to stand fast. First, if you're taking notes, this is what it is. First, by being strengthened by Christ, by being strengthened by Christ. It was absolutely necessary that Paul write this way to Timothy. In fact, we all know that Christ calls all of his followers, all who would ever consider following him, to pick up their cross and follow him. It is a call, actually, in many ways, to suffer. And of course, uh, Christians, we walk in the very footsteps of Christ, who was crucified. And we are indeed called to endure suffering, if God so calls us to it. Unfortunately, you see here that we just read, many were not enduring. Instead, actually, they were abandoning. As many were watching Paul be persecuted and chained by Rome, look at what Paul says happened there. Verse 15, all. It's such a large group, large enough for him to say all. Of course, he doesn't mean all as in every single human being there in Asia. He means many. All who are in Asia turned away from me, Phagellus and Hermogenes. And then turn over to 2 Timothy 4.10. Look there, here's another example. He says Demas. He writes here with his personal name, Demas, I think because Timothy knows who he is, right? These are guys that they had ministered to. This Demas, he also in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I mean, just imagine being Paul. He's already persecuted by Rome, right? Nero blamed this great fire in Rome on the Christians. Nero is rounding up the Christians. He's burning them. He's feeding them to dogs, right? He's already being persecuted. Paul's going to be beheaded. And on top of all that, the very people he ministers to are turning their backs on him. And it's in that environment, as he sees his friends' backs turn on him, Look at this encouragement that he writes to Timothy. He writes to faithful Timothy. That's what Timothy's called elsewhere. Faithful Timothy. He says, you then, in contrast to those who are turning away, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in contrast to those others who are turning away. What exactly does this mean when he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Uh, I'm dating myself here, but growing up, I used to watch this cartoon called He-Man. And, uh, of course, you know, here's this guy, He-Man. You know, he's like, uh, he's yoked. He's on steroids. Who knows what's going on? Um, and he's, he's saving the world from bad guys. And, of course, when he needed strength to battle the bad guys, he would draw his broadsword from his back, and he would raise it and pronounce, right? You guys know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Maybe not. He pronounces, by the power of Grayskull. And then, like, the lightning flashes. His sword becomes all powerful. Somehow, all of a sudden, like, he's clothed, and all of a sudden, he's wearing no clothes, and he's like, ah. Um, you see this immediate transformation. And then he also goes on to proclaim, like, I have the power. Well, friends, that's not what's going on here. It's not what is going on here. The strength that comes from the grace of God is simply God's grace to sustain us. It's God's grace that helps us persevere as Christians in this fallen world so that we fulfill our ministry. It's God's grace that helps us live and fight and suffer for Christ, like Christ, trusting in Christ, seeking to know and love Christ. And God himself helps us by his grace in Christ according to his spirit, his Holy Spirit. That's been a theme thus far in the letter. God helps us by his grace in Christ according to his spirit. 
God has given us a, this is in chapter 1, you can go ahead and read it later on, a spirit of power and love and self-control. God calls Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's power of the Spirit as well. He's also called to guard the good deposit by the Holy Spirit. And here in today's passage, he encourages Timothy to stand fast, be strengthened by the grace of Christ. He and we today need the help of the Spirit to run, the Spirit of Christ to help us run the race that Christ has given us. Just think of all that we experience here in this world, the, all the temptations that the world has to offer when you think of the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? We live in this world filled with all of the temptations and the allurements, filled with all these other people, our, our friends even, that we so love, our family, who are giving themselves to all sorts of different things to utmost satisfaction, so it seems. And we might be tempted, too, to think that, yeah, true life is over there. And so we might go and run over there. I think true life is over there in the money. And so we might be tempted to, to go and run over there or the pleasures of the world or finding our identity in what we do or in our relationships. And in those things, with the mission that Christ himself has given us, with all of those things, you can imagine that the devil and Satan, he delights when we are distracted by the circus, when the real mission is right in front of us, when our real home is not here, but certainly the one that Christ is bringing us to. In the face of all that, we can, in fact, be strengthened by looking to Christ and the fact that we as Christians have been united to him. We have been united to him where we are one with him. And where we can be growing in our oneness with him. I mean, that right there is a game changer, right? Where his purposes become our purposes. His desires become our desires. His loves become by his spirit more of our own love. So being united to him in the midst of that fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, we can pray, Lord Jesus, help me lay aside all that hinders me in this race. By knowing you more. It's that by knowing you more. By thinking like you more. By loving like you more. By living like you more. Help me endure like you, Jesus, did. Satisfy me more, Lord Jesus Christ, in you. And God, we ask you that you would grant us the grace to do this. All by your spirit, the spirit of Jesus. I find that greatly encouraging. Christ himself, of course, had the Spirit, and he gives us his very own Spirit. Who knows what it is like to endure temptation, let's say, from the devil, and he succeeds. That Spirit is now dwelling within us and granting us power to endure like Jesus. Certainly not perfectly, but in an ongoing way, just as Christ resisted in an ongoing way. And God, by his grace, he answers did you know that he actually answers so incredibly frequently? Some of us like, are tempted, I think, to forget that God actually answers our prayers, that he would strengthen us, right? Sometimes we don't even know where to look. Sometimes we are looking for, you know, the He-Man miraculous transformation, as if that actually happens, which it doesn't. It does happen miraculously sometimes. Like if you see like the whole God's grand plan and salvation from Genesis to Revelation, where are those miraculous works of God taking place where God is working in an unusual way in this world? You can think about Pentecost, for example, right? Jesus Christ pours out his spirit to equip the church so that they might go out and fulfill their mission. And something like the spirit being seen like flames of fire, they come and rest on God's people, and then those people are equipped to go and preach the gospel in different languages to the ends of the earth, right? Sometimes it does happen that, that, like that, that, that sort of power and that kind of strengthening, that kind of equipping. But friends, you realize that Pentecost, for example, only happened once. It only needed to happen once, and it is going to happen only once at that point in time. But in Scripture, we can see God's grace that strengthens us for our task, right? Where can we find this grace? Where do we see Jesus answering? It is simply by making us more godly. 
That's how God answers. That's how he strengthens us for our ministry, by making us more godly. The strength that comes from the grace of Christ Jesus is often, overwhelmingly so, found in Christians as they turn away from sin. Christians as they remain steadfast to Christ in the face of temptation. For example, when you, Christian, are battling against lust, right? you're, you're not loving other people the way that God wanted you to, but you, so you battle against lust. And as you do so, you instead desire more and more to love them as Christ wants his people, his creation loved. That's growing in godliness. That's being strengthened by God's power. It's found where you, Christian, are growing in sorrow over whatever sin you had. Because before, you didn't give a rip. You didn't care how you sinned. But now, all of a sudden, there's some degree of sorrow over sin and sorrow before God. That, friend, is being strengthened by the grace of God to battle against sin. You begin to think more like Jesus does towards this sin. And so we grow in godly sorrow because we want to please our Father in heaven. That's where it's at. God's grace in Christ is found in growing in self-control over our own temptations and our carnal desires because we want to, to honor God. We want to use ourselves. We want God to use us in such a way where we really represent Him in all of His goodness. We want to tell all of our friends that there is another way, a better way, and that way is in Christ. We see God's grace strengthening us when previously we were scared to speak about Christ. But in this new moment, we want to honor Christ. We want Christ to be thought well of far more than our desire for us to be thought well of. We begin to see that our friend's eternal soul is far more important than the way that our friend or family just temporarily judges us to be being strengthened by God's grace here to summarize being strengthened by God's grace in Christ Jesus involves God helping us stand fast to Christ to fulfill his call and in fact to be his ambassadors and so Paul calls Timothy to do just this be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus to do his task there is to lead the church to be an ambassador, and then more specifically as a pastor, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the word. Let's be clear, this work is in fact supernatural in the sense that it is brought about by God himself, but it appears again overwhelmingly so in just regular old godliness, which is awesome. It's sanctification. As God's grace saves... As God's grace calls us to a holy calling, so his grace empowers us to stand fast to fulfill the mission. For Timothy, the pastor of the church, right, he was to be strengthened for what purpose immediately? We know that he used to be strengthened for all sorts of things like keep the sound words, the pattern of the sound words that I gave you. We know that he's called to guard the good deposit, says that earlier. We know later on that he's going to be saying, right, Paul's going to encourage him to preach the word in season and out of season. Be ready at all times. But here in our passage... What is the purpose for which he is to be strengthened by God's grace? Stick your face in the passage. What does it say there? Well, it's for the purposes of passing on the message of Christ. For the purposes of passing on the message of Christ. This brings us to point number two. How is Timothy the Sandfast? Point number one says they're being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Point number two, for the purpose of passing on the message of Christ. Verse two, and it says, and... What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men. It's interesting here that he says, right, be strengthened by Christ, by Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pass on what I say. There's a school of thought that says that, you know, Christianity is just a bunch of stuff that these people called Christians simply made up. Right? We, we're all struggling like these people over here and they go and make up something called God because they are weak and these people over here go and do the same or that's just what people do. And so that the Christians, they just go ahead and make stuff up. Is that what it's saying when he says be strengthened by this Jesus that he made up to, to pass on what I say? <laughs> the answer is no. Right? You're, you're visiting a, a Bible-believing church. So here, 
very clearly. This is not something that humanity simply makes up as if, uh, you know, this is something to be manufactured. Remember, Paul suffers for the person and work of Christ. He lived for the good news of Jesus Christ. He suffers for the gospel. You look there at 111. It is the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. This gospel, which means this good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul preached, right? It, it is that, that is the gospel, it is that which Christ entrusted to him. That's how it reads there in 112. The gospel, it was what Christ had entrusted to Paul. It's this thing that was passed on. Turn over to Galatians. If you're sitting next to somebody who doesn't know their way around Scripture, they're visiting, just help them get there. Turn left. And eventually you'll get to the letter of Galatians. And I'm turning here because, I want us all to turn here because I want you guys to see how Paul thinks of his own ministry. And we see this right here in Galatians. He's defending his ministry against those uh, who were, you know, basically throwing him under the bus. And look how he understands his ministry in verse 15. And he says right there that God, but when he, he's talking about God, God set me apart before I was born. And God called me by his grace. This God was pleased to reveal his son to me. He's just reporting what happened in Acts chapter 9. Jesus appeared to him. And there Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, beholds the Lord Savior Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. And why did Jesus do that? Look there, right? Galatians chapter 116. Uh, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He's not preaching made up words. He's preaching Jesus right here. He's, he's just super ultra consistent. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you should read all of his letters to see just how consistent he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified. It's the message of Jesus Christ and what Christ has accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. You know, to understand more about what his task was and what he's really calling Timothy to do, another word for the Greek word translated preach is herald. I like that, I like that word herald. I mean, preach today comes with certain connotations, especially if you're not familiar with Christianity. Um, herald, though, is another equally useful word. It has a lot of good connotations. We think of, right, a king, the Lord of the kingdom, sending out his messengers to herald the good news about his rule and reign and his deliverance. And Paul, as an appointed messenger, and Timothy, the same, is to boldly announce the king's decree. That's Paul and Timothy's role right here. Both of them, in a formal way, have been called to preach, have been called to herald. They've been charged by King Jesus to herald the good news about the king's arrival, about the king's deliverance, about the king's pardon for sinners, and about the king's welcome. That's what they were to herald. And that's exactly what we see happening, right? The king appeared. God, this is the gospel here. This is what we propagate, what Jesus passed on. This is what Jesus accomplished through his own person and through his work. The reason why God sent Jesus was because he wanted to save humanity. He wanted to save sinners who had rebelled against the one and only king. That, of course, is treason. We know this today. We can look at all the sorts of states and see that there is punishment for treason. So it was happening in God's real kingdom. We had rebelled against him, all mankind, and earned for ourselves just condemnation. So God, what does he do? He doesn't judge immediately, but instead he provides a solution. So he sends his eternal son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh. And so King Jesus, the eternal son of God, arrives. He appears. Paul speaks about this as God's grace appeared. It was revealed. It was manifested. The king appeared to save. And so you see the king's deliverance, the king's salvation. This here deals with Christ's work as he lived the perfect life we should have fulfilling God's righteous law, and he died the death that his people deserve for having rebelled against him. That's what the king does. He actually lays down his life for his very own rebels. That's crazy. He dies on the cross, bearing the wrath that his people deserved. Three days later, he gets up from the dead, showing all, proving all, offering all hope, 
that for those who repent of their sins and believe on him, that the death penalty no longer hangs over us, but instead we can know this very king called into his kingdom. We can know peace here on account of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus saves. And there we know the king's pardon. Those who repent of their sins are forgiven. We are adopted into his family. This debt is wiped away because Christ himself paid for it. Friends, you realize that that is the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul was suffering for, that Timothy was suffering for, and that Christ calls all of his people to suffer for if we should, in fact, experience this type of persecution. It was the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, the message. That was the message that the king entrusted to Paul and had called Paul and Timothy and pastors today, elders today, in a formal way to herald. This was the message that was entrusted to Paul. If you look there in 2 Timothy 1.14, 2 Timothy 1.14, it was the message entrusted to Timothy. And it was the message that Timothy was to herald. I think actually that this would have been really exciting for Timothy to get this letter. I know that Paul is suffering. I know that he's in chains. I know that he's going to be beheaded. I know Christians around him are also being beheaded and uh, suffering for the gospel. So yes, there is suffering. But I do think that this would have been exciting, encouraging, strengthening for Timothy to receive this letter. Is there suffering for many Christians? Of course. We all, once again, as I mentioned last time, we all suffer for what we value. That is very clear. All this language of being entrusted with something, receiving something, passing down something, entrusted now to him, right? That is exciting. This thing that has made its way down ultimately to Timothy and placed into his hands so that he would be responsible at this crucial time to fill in the gap for the next generation. That's exciting. I mean, give me something to live for. Here, Timothy is held out, reminded of something to live for. The fact that this thing is being passed down The truth about the Lord Almighty who saves all by his grace and delivers over and over and over again, just as he had already shown himself to do. Now that news arrives to Timothy and he is charged to carry it on. I have something that was passed down from Melanie's father, who was very much like a father to me, second father to me. And it is this knife right here. Um. I know you guys might not be excited about knives, uh, but here I have this pretty cool knife. Um, And it's interesting to think about how this knife served Melanie's dad, right? It's kind of sentimental like that. It's interesting to think about how it served Paul Lamb, how many missions, life missions, it went with him on. He, he was a jeweler. How many boxes it cut open, maybe? You know, something, something fun to think about. How many letters of good news or even of bad news to see suffering and joys with him along the way of his life? That's exciting to me to think about. It traveled with him for who knows how long. And now it's in my possession. Well, that's kind of fun because it's going to stay with me in, in my joys and then in my sorrows. It's going to accompany me. I mean, I've got to get it sharpened. I'm going to do that. But then it's going to travel with me for who knows how long, who knows how many decades. But then eventually, it's going to travel on to one of my children, whoever likes knives. But then they're going to hold it, too, and they're going to think this knife was with Paul Lamb, with all of his experiences. And then this, this knife, as it was helping Paul Lamb, and then it helped on Dad, too. At every single step of the way, even if it is just opening boxes, you know, uh, every single step of the way to eventually into their hands for who knows how long. And then eventually down into more generations. I think that's cool. But that's a piece of steel. At the end of the day, who cares about a piece of steel that's just going to end up everywhere else? Or that everything else ends up, which is in the trash eventually, or lost. What 
what about the testimony? What about the thing that Timothy received? He received the eternal decree of God. He received the message of God's grace made manifest in Jesus Christ. That message of grace that saves, that grace that sustains, that grace that secures. Think about how that gospel met Paul at each and every single turn of his life. Think about that gospel as we read the book of Acts. As you read the book of Acts, you can see there, right? He was rejoicing in prison, singing hymns to the prisoners. That's how God's grace met him right there at that moment. And then as he went on his different missionary journeys, as he was persecuted, as he was stoned, as he was shipwrecked, as, he, as God sustained him, that grace of God met him in every single way. That's that message that saves and sustains that Paul is saying, here, now it's in your hands, formally. Of course, Timothy had already had it since he believed in it. And he's saying, now it's your turn. Take it. Run with it. You've had, I have had it my whole entire lifetime. And now that's coming to an end. Now you go and run with it. That's exciting. Christ himself. He, he accomplishes salvation in his person and his work on the cross. He passes it down to Paul, that message. He says, don't you dare mess with it. This is what it is. This is the truth. And he gives it to all of his apostles. Now all the apostles are on their last leg, more or less, very soon to be. And here Paul is saying, now look, you as my apostolic delegate, the one chosen by me to pastor in Ephesus, you take it and then you run with it for your generation. And see to it that everybody after you does as well. That's exciting. He has right there something to live for. And that's that very thing that has been entrusted to him. Now, I know that knife example is kind of silly because my knife accompanies me. But here's the gospel that called Paul into its service, Jesus Christ's service. And it's that gospel that controls him, that drives him. And it's that gospel that will carry him on down into the future. It's the power to save. It is the gospel. It is the words of the king. You see there what Timothy is now to do? You see what he, what he is to do there in 2 Timothy 2 2. Paul says, Entrust. Let's go ahead and look there again at the passage there. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men. That's what he used to do there. He heard about it in the presence of many witnesses, right? Paul is preaching to the many. In fact, there, the presence of many witnesses kind of means that there are many people who testified to the same thing. And Paul's saying, join in their ranks, basically, and testify. And now, entrust this gospel to others. What an important task. Now, friends, you don't have to be an apostle or a pastor to understand how important it is to pass on this message or to keep it pure. You don't even need to be a Christian to understand, right, what's going on here. And you can imagine, right, how important this would be. If your boss tells you to communicate this a message to others on his authority, that there will, for example, be mandatory 10% raises or like there's just going to be a mandatory meeting, right? You are going to take it seriously. Why is that? Well, it's because the authority, the one in authority has asked you to do it. So you see why that's important. Another reason, because it's not your message. It's his message, her message. Another reason is because your boss has charged you on his behalf to speak. So Paul here is doing the same thing, but he received it from the Lord, right? From the Christian view, it's God the Lord, the king of the universe. Paul says, what you have heard from me that Christ entrusted to me, entrust to faithful men. Here's Paul. He's just thinking like an apostle. He's thinking apostolic in an apostolic way, thinking not just about himself, not just about Timothy, but generations to come. Did you notice there in verse 2, it says, entrust it to faithful men. Who's going to do what? who will be able to teach others also. Right there, Paul has four generations in mind, right? He has himself, Christ entrusted the gospel to him. Take what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, right? He has, he's thinking about himself. 
But then he, get, and then he tells Timothy to do something, right? He's the second generation. There's Timothy. You go and do it. You preach the gospel. You keep the pattern. You guard it. And I want you to entrust it to others, the third generation there. And what are those others to do? Well, they're supposed to go on and teach it still more. Fourth, to future people. Four generations. It's a chain of faithful ministers of the gospel who are to fulfill their ministry to carry on the gospel all the way until Jesus Christ comes. It's link by link by link down into the generations. You get the picture that the gospel, which has been entrusted to Paul, entrusted to Timothy, entrusted to others, entrusted to those others. You get the picture that this gospel is a trust, right? It's, it's a trust, and it contains the goods that are important. And these goods are to be displayed generation after generation after generation. How useful is it for Timothy to be forced by Paul's writings to not just think about where he is in his ministry? Now, now he's writing to a pastor, but I'm going to apply this to all of us, right? Because to some degree, we're all to be making disciples, teaching people, whether we are women teaching women in Titus chapter 2, right? Or elders teaching the church or parents teaching their young ones, or anybody discipling others, right? We're all commanded to some degree, in some ways, maybe not formally, to teach. But how useful is it for all of us to not just think about where we are at this particular moment on November 17, 2019, but to think about those who are going to take our place in carrying on the torch. For one, I think this helps cultivate an appropriate humility, an appropriate humility, and not just for pastors, but for all of us by extension. It helps us fix our eyes not finally on us, but on the goods that have been entrusted to us. That is the gospel. Now, speaking to pastors here, or people who desire to be in the ministry, so often aren't people proudly preoccupied with ourselves and the way that we carry, the way that we strut with the gospel. What others are thinking about us as we carry it. We seek to please men in such a way so that we're praised for the way in which we carry it. Can you imagine the folks back in the Old Testament where God equips them to build the tabernacle? And they're weaving things, they're carving things, they're shaping things out of gold. It's all for God's glory. It's all for the people of God as they worship God. They've been gifted by God, called by God, equipped by God. They're seeking to worship God, and there they are, right? Well, what's their legacy going to be? In sin, right, when we're all tempted, it might have been, yeah, I wonder what my children are going to say about those, you know, purple robes that I weaved. Those are pretty awesome, aren't they? What are they going to say about those little golden, those golden candlesticks that I made there? I sharpened, I sharpened it pretty good, right? And so in our selfishness or seeking to praise, to seek the praise of man or worrying about the fear of man, we're just preoccupied with the way in which we carry the gospel and not the gospel. It is all about the gospel that we carry. The gospel that sustains us. Here, thinking about the next generation, right, it forces us to think about the trust itself the goods itself, and who is going to take up the reins when we're gone. It helps us think about identifying and then also training up others who can, in fact, carry it down into the generations. And I think that this long view here helps us in our faithfulness to Christ here and now. Now, again, you don't need to be a pastor to appreciate this. Think about your children, right? What are you handing on? What do you want to pass on to them? Think about the church members right here. What are you hoping that others, people who are younger than yourselves, less mature in Christ than yourselves, what do you want them to take away when you are gone? I think this helps us move towards faithfulness. I think some people might here be a bit discouraged, knowing that people come and people go. Like, yeah, I am a link, and there's just going to be the next link, and then the next link. But I don't see it that way, actually. I think this is actually encouraging, and I hope you find it to be encouraging. Remember that God himself has set this time and he has determined that you live here and minister here and now. 
and that you are a part of First Baptist Church here and now. And then he has also set a time where Christ will actually come. And now God is building his church and he uses weak people like ourselves, sinners like ourselves, to do just that. Have people come before us? Yes, absolutely. Will people come after us? Absolutely. Generation after generation, as long as the Lord tarries. He will, in fact, I mean, that will, in fact, happen. But by God's grace, he calls us as elders. There are four elders here, myself, Jason, David, and Oscar. And he calls us all as members of First Baptist Church to labor faithfully in this generation, faithfully holding out Christ to everybody around us and raising up younger ones, discipling them or teaching formally here until our earthly service to the king draws to an end. And then it is time for the next generation to carry on that flag with greater energy than we could have anyways. Christ calls us right here, right now, to equip the next generation in gospel faithfulness. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged at First Baptist Church. I'm encouraged at what the Lord has done in First Baptist Church. We are coming up on our 60th anniversary next year. Actually, in September 2020, it'll be our 60th anniversary as a church. And in that, folks, those 60 years, we might not be super old, but we are certainly not young. God has preserved us for those 60 years. And the previous senior pastor, which whom some of you guys might know, Pastor Rick, he was here for 30 of them. He was holding down the fort for the next generation. That is us to take over the helm here at First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights. And so we have done this in the way in which he himself wanted to help navigate the transition from him to myself was super encouraging, super encouraging. He knew that the next generation would come, and he wanted to take part in the training up of them, the handing off of gospel ministry to us. I've been here since 2012 when there were eight people in the church. The church had dwindled all the way down to uh, eight people. And when me and Melanie visited in 2012, in March, I believe, there were only eight people. Me and Melanie were numbers nine and ten. And you just look at what God has done. All by His grace, certainly not on account of uh, me, Melanie's greatness, or the people who were here early on in those days. It's all by God's grace. Now the church is relatively full of Christians who desire to love Christ according to His word. And you know how I know that that's a fact? It's because I talk to you guys about just this. I hear stories about how you guys want to do justice and how you're seeking to do justice. How you guys are seeking to evangelize others. I mean, we hear that every month, almost, in our Sunday evening service. And I get reports about how people are battling against you know, any number of things and how they're clinging to Christ and how they want to be encouraged in the Word and how they are encouraging people in the Word. I hear reports about you guys, and friends, you realize that that, that is God strengthening you by His grace in Christ so that we might be a faithful display of his glory to the watching world. Another piece of evidence, right? This is stuff that uh, I, think, I think many of us are looking at and observing here, and I hope are encouraged. You think about the biblical counseling conference, right, that our church and two other churches put on, we helped to host. You realize that there were almost 30 people there from our church alone. That is almost, what, 40 to 50% of people who I assume genuinely wanted to be there to learn how to minister God's word to ourselves and to others. I mean, that is awesome. That's incredibly encouraging. That's God's power. That's evidence of God's power strengthening us for our ministry that we might together minister the gospel to one another. There's more to be encouraged as we move forward in time. In tonight's members meeting, you'll see that the elders are proposing, proposing that we start a formal internship program in 2020 for men who are exploring their call to ministry. Now, of course, why do we do this? We do this to entrust to others what God has entrusted to us so that they, those future men, would go and do likewise. Another line in our budget tonight, you will see that there, we're advocating that we support a church planting internship program in a closed country where churches together have joined together so that they might do the same, and they are doing the same even right now. A handful of churches partnering together to train up the next generation. We want to put a little bit of our money behind that so that they would be encouraged if the congregation 
agrees to the elder's recommendation. Why do we do this? It is so that we would be faithful and so that others would be faithful and so that those others would go and teach others still. We seek to do what Timothy was to do. He was to entrust the gospel, look there, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I do think he has in mind here the training up of future elders or elder-like men. That's why he leans into men. It's not that we believe that women cannot teach anything. Clearly in Scripture, you see like Priscilla, for example, leading and teaching this man named Apollos. Right? Clearly, women can teach and teach others. But when it comes to the formal setting of the church, we can, get, we can talk longer about this and explain why we believe what we believe. But when it comes to the formal setting in the church and then also in the home, God has laid that weight of responsibility on the man's shoulders in the home, in the church. This is why I think he's leaning into find up men, faithful men, as it's translated here, who will be able to help teach others also. The metaphor of links in the chain here, you know, right here, it helps us visualize this. In order for this to happen, Paul tells Timothy that those who are trained up are to be men of what? Character. That is faithfulness. And then men of competency. That is able to teach others. These are to be men who are to commend the gospel by their lives and in their teaching. Men like, you look there in verse 16 of chapter 1, right? Onesiphorus. He was there not ashamed of Paul's chains. He served the church in Ephesus. And while others were abandoning Paul, Onesiphorus, what does he do? He earnestly searches out for Paul in, when uh, Paul was in prison there in Rome. And then he finds him, right? That's character. That's faithfulness. Not going to turn away in the midst of persecution. That's trustworthiness. That's dependability ultimately to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If they are not faithful to Christ, well, of course, how can they serve as stewards over God's things? That's what, that's what uh, pastors are called. That's what elders are called, stewards of God's things, the mysteries of God. They must also be men who are competent to teach or able to teach others. They are competent. We know that Timothy was up against false teachers in chapter 2, 17. It speaks about those who had swerved from the truth. In chapter 4, it speaks about those who abandoned uh, Christ and instead was in love with other things. And friends, just as there were false teachers then, so there are false teachers now. Perhaps the, the most common false teaching in our culture today is those who preach a prosperity gospel or a health and wealth gospel. This teaches that Christianity is basically... Basically, all about getting healthy and wealthy in this earthly sense and not so much about eternal salvation through Christ alone and His work on the cross. Now, some of these false teachers go so far as to say that we Christians are little gods and we we are supposed to do what the God does. That is, we are to speak our futures into existence. We manifest things. Just as God did in Genesis chapter 1, He spoke things into existence, and so we are to do the same. We speak things into existence as if we are little gods. Manifest riches, manifest health. If you just believe enough, then God will give you what you want, your prosperity. How contradictory is this letter to that teaching? Now, friends, if you notice, if you've been here long enough, you notice that we talk about the prosperity gospel a lot. Because I'm sure, I haven't calculated this, but you realize that in the last, let's say, five years, I'm pretty sure 50% of our membership has come from people out, who have come out of those types of churches. Los Angeles, with the Trinity Broadcasting Network, is known for this. So this is really important. It helps us actually uh, learn to stand and guard the gospel while teaching and even while rebuking. But friends, you look at this letter, right? How contradictory is this letter to the claim of the prosperity gospel? Paul is suffering for the faith. What do you see him manifesting? He says, I'm going to die. Basically, I finished the race. It's done. It's good. And now God has laid up for me, not earthly, not earthly riches of wealth and health, but future in Jesus Christ. The crown of righteousness. As it says in chapter 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
And then he has, God has for him the crown of righteousness. Now that's the successful life to him. You see that there? That's the successful life. That's why he tells Timothy to share in suffering like a good soldier. That's just part and parcel of the Christian faith. Those who walk after a crucified Jesus and those who walk after a beheaded Paul, those who walk after an exiled John, we could just go on and on and on. He says, share in suffering. You look at what Paul calls Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How much more clear can it be that the Christian should at the very least expect suffering in the Christian life? Which, according to Luke chapter 13, is not necessarily on account of any lack of faith. You could also see James. You could see 1 Peter. Trials are to strengthen and refine faith. Difficult circumstances, right? Christians walk after a crucified Savior. Those who preach the prosperity gospel, this false gospel, they twist the good news of Jesus to be something, to be about something he never actually promised, guaranteed to every single one of his people. And besides that, these teachers reduce the Lord from being the Lord God Almighty to being the little servant who fetches our Ferraris, blows up our bank accounts, as if life is all about our glory. God's stewards, if they are to be faithful, if we are to be faithful to Christ, we need to restore for others the right view of God. That He has, in fact, revealed Himself to be in the gospel along with the true nature and work of Jesus Christ, our strong deliverer who saves us from our sin and reconciles us to himself. Thus, Paul calls Timothy in 4, 1 to 2. Go ahead and look there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 2. What does he charge him to do? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. What does he tell him to do? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Thus in Titus chapter 1, 9, it says that the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, if you're exploring Christianity, maybe you thought, hey, you know, I thought Christ Christians and Christianity is all about believing in whatever you want, right? And whatever you believe, like, hey, that's all good. And whatever you believe, like, hey, that's okay too. Well, friends, you realize that here, that doesn't match up with Scripture, right? We live our lives according to Scripture. You see from this passage that Christian pastors... And really, all Christians are to rebuke and reprove as the case shall require. In other words, there is this boundary. There is this real identity about Jesus that we are to uphold. Remember, from our perspective, we really believe, like we really believe, according to the Bible, that Jesus Christ lived, he actually died, he actually rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And these false teachers, right, they're teaching false things about our Lord. Imagine if, if uh, false things were being said about your mother and your father. Of course, you're going to defend, you're going to reprove, you're going to rebuke and set the record straight about who your father really is and who your faithful mother really is. Of course, you're going to clarify this over and over and over again. So it is with the Christian and our Christ. It's our responsibility as elders especially, and all Christians in general, and this church, to herald who Christ is and what he has really done for sinners. Because, friends, you realize that what is at stake is God's rightful glory. That the world would know who he is without a shadow of a doubt. That he is just and righteous and holy. And that he's also loving, gracious, and merciful. Who has also, in Christ Jesus, accomplished the salvation of all who would repent of their sins and believe. Friends, if you're visiting with us and you're exploring Christianity, that's why we clarify over and over and over again, right? This is actually about a person, the Lord. The wonderful thing is that you can know him too if you would turn from your sins and believe on him. You will know him as a person. Christians don't worship principles. We worship a person. And there are true facts about this person. Christian, in light of this passage, this application here, Timothy saying, entrust to faithful men who will go and teach others. I wonder, friends, if you desire to entrust the gospel to others. If you think of yourself as a Christian, do you desire to entrust the gospel to others? Now, again, he's writing to a pastor who does this in a unique way. 
But yet all of us, the whole entire church is called to be making disciples. So this can, in fact, be applied to all of us. What do you desire to entrust to other people? What kind of legacy do you want to leave to, the, to your loved ones? What do you desire to entrust the goods that you want to entrust your future generations to, physical or spiritual? I hope right now you're being spurred on to live for the gospel above everything. Is that what your life is about? Or as you survey your own life, would you say that you're wanting to pass on something else to your children and those you love? What will your legacy be? What is it that you want it to be? Do you want to leave your mark on the world? I had a friend who, who wanted to go into architecture. The reason why, he wasn't a Christian, the reason why is because he wanted to leave a lasting mark on the world that bore his name. That didn't work out so well for the folks at Babel, did it? Where they sought to build a tower that conquered the heavens in their pride. And they were humbled to the point of having an utter lack of understanding and wisdom. Maybe you labor for your kingdom. You wanted to stretch out with your billions, with all of your acres, and boast in your own glory. Is that what you want to pass on to your loved ones when you die your last, in your last breath? That didn't go so well for Nebuchadnezzar, did it? In the book of Daniel, who boasted about the pride of his own greatness as if his kingdom was the kingdom that he made all on account of his own strength and power. But no, God had judged him. He went crazy, becoming like the beasts of the field. Friends, forget striving to gain and to pass on that stuff. Knives of steel and other material things, as if that is of first importance. Friends, you realize that right now in your hearts and in your spirit, you have the greatest trust, the greatest goods, the greatest content that there ever could be. Forget stuff that's going to be land up one day in the eternal trash heap to be destroyed by fire at the day of judgment. You have the good news of Jesus, the only one that can secure eternal life with Christ for you for your children, for everybody here in this church, and for generations to come. Brothers especially, brothers especially, let me talk to you here because this is a pastor writing to another pastor or a young man here. Scripture teaches that God has, once again, laid this weight of leadership and accountability to men in the home and in the church, and we think about the church here, men are to serve as pastors and preachers. Brothers, I pray that you are being challenged to step up, to depend on God, and to grow in character and competency from this passage. I pray that we're being challenged to, to our faithfulness to Christ and our competency to teach the gospel of Christ. Do you know that we as elders are constantly on the lookout for men who can help lead in stewarding the gospel? It's on our agenda. Every single elders meeting, we're thinking about leadership. Are you growing in your desire to help propagate and protect? Propagate just means move forward, advance. Propagate and protect the gospel in the ways that you are able. might not be from the pulpit, but in the ways that you are able. Are you growing at all in a desire? to? Do you, do you pray at all that you would help protect the gospel here in this church and grow in your desire to do this? Now, for some here, God may be growing in you a strong desire to serve as a pastor, a shepherd of God's people. And that desire to serve as a pastor is a good thing. If that's you, let me encourage you to come and make yourself known to us as elders so that we can help you as best as we can, according to our assessment by the power of the Spirit, we can help you grow in godliness and your ability to handle the Word of God. Character, competency. We can help you see if God has gifted you accordingly so that you might one day be an elder, one who would rightly handle the Word of God. For brothers who are exploring their gifting and want to grow in it, there are so many different opportunities to be tested, whether it be from the informal to the formal, right? We always want to start with the informal. 
there's this meme going around right now amongst all my Christian pastors. I know it's kind of nerdy, but on one side of the picture, you got this, this character who's saying, I want to go into the ministry. And on this other side, you got this cat that's saying, but you won't even stack chairs. You always want to start with the informal as that will reveal the true heart. You don't want to jump into the formal if you're not doing the informal. It might reveal that you should not actually be serving formally if you only want to serve where there is a title. So here are some informal ways that you, Christian, can be growing in this desire. Reach out to others, ministering to others with the word. If you can't do it in your personal lives, right, you should be thinking, well, why should I be doing it in public? Right? So let me encourage you, reach out to others. Seek to love people. Of course, this applies to everybody, men and women. Let me encourage you also to exercise hospitality to others. Open up your homes. If right now you got the desire, I don't know anybody like this, but in the congregation right now, but if right now you have the desire to, I want to preach the gospel, but you won't even have people into your own homes to minister the gospel to them, right? You should wonder, well, I'm probably not so equipped yet to do that. There have been actually a number of people that have come through here, our church, not talking about anybody right now, who have said, I want to be a missionary to, you know, the ends of the earth and go to this foreign country and this and that. And they actually think reaching out to somebody across the the chair, across the aisle from another culture is too hard. Uh, That probably means that that person right now is not so equipped in actually taking up the missionary work. Now, we can help that person get there, but we want to do that partially by encouraging them to do it now. Here's another one. We're getting a little bit more formal. You can help lead in small groups. You don't have to be first chair. That is the, 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 the main leader. You could be second leader. You could be third leader. You could say, hey, I kind of want to try. Well, great. We would encourage you to do that. And maybe one of the elders or some, one of the leaders can actually be there, give you feedback and this and that. So that's another great way. Here's another way, service leading. There's a number of men that service lead here by God's grace, as this morning Oscar did. Praise God for that. You're exercising genuine leadership. You're helping people understand, why are we going to sing these songs here? What truths do I want you guys to cling to as we sing these songs? As we move into the scripture passage, what ought we, what ought, where should our hearts be geared towards and our ears be perked up for as we listen to today's passage, how that priest, that servant of God, though he had the call of God, abused his privileges, didn't care about it. He didn't fulfill it. He wasn't thinking about the next generation as he should have, right? That's, all, that's, that's on the service leader. And then, of course, we have the evening devotionals. We have preaching here this morning. There, there are lots of things that one could do. But, of course, to do these things, we first need to emphasize encouraging good old godliness, growing in godliness and faithfulness in the midst of temptation, right? How are you doing in that? Growing in godliness as you battle lust or materialism, as if those are what's ultimate, or the fear of man and your evangelism. Are you growing in your love for Christ's people? Because if you don't love Christ's people, and if it's not manifested in different ways, what in the world do you make of preaching the word of God? All it is is just empty words, a noisy gong. Even the preaching of the word for that person ends up being that if there is no no love for Christ and love for Christ's people. Are you growing in the love for the word of God? Are you actually reading the word, meditating on the word that you so want to teach? Are you growing in a heart of Christ-like service? Stacking chairs, even if necessary. Folding bulletins, stapling bulletins. We could just go, we could go on and on. If God is giving you the desire to grow in these ways, let me encourage you to come talk to us. Is the work difficult at times? Absolutely. Does it involve suffering at times? Yes, it will to some degree, to a great great degree for Paul and Timothy and many Christians around the world. But the work is good, friends, and it is worth it. The next time we come back to 2 Timothy, we'll look more at the attitude required for these men. And really the attitude required of all of us if we are to follow Jesus Christ. You see there, suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What better thing, friend, is there to give yourselves to than the protecting of and the passing on of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the ways that God has gifted you to do that. What better thing is there? It is that that will help God's people lay hold of the salvation that God has stored up for his people. That is why, friends, that Paul endures all things for the sake of the elect. 
why, why Timothy does the same, and why here today, in all of our unique ways, ought to be doing as well. To conclude the sermon here, the passage calls pastors, and really all of us by extension, to stand fast. How are we to stand fast? It is by being strengthened by God's grace in Jesus Christ as we pass on the gospel of Christ. And then we see next time by suffering as a good soldier in Jesus Christ, fully committed to Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you have revealed to us through the gospel as people have shared it with us, preached it to us, as people have opened the word of God, you have revealed the gospel and opened our eyes that we might see Christ. What a wonderful thing that we here today, all of us, have been entrusted with the gospel. These so-called goods and the content, the person of Jesus Christ and the message that salvation is found in him and in him alone. Lord, we pray that, again, you would help us to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also here in this place. Help the elders do this especially. And in all the different ways in which you have gifted your people to serve the body of Christ, Lord, we pray that we all would be contributing to this entrusting of, this training up of, this identifying of these faithful men and by extension, faithful women who will go on to teach others. We pray, Lord God, that you would make us faithful. Cast us upon your strength, we pray, and not our own as we know so clearly that it comes to suffering or it may come to suffering if you so call us to these things. We pray that the strength of Christ would undergird us, we pray. In your name we ask, amen.